Welcome to episode 386 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always. This week we don't have a guest because I'm just going to talk about some concerts that I've had the chance to see in the past, I guess it would be three months. You know, I'm not going to jump on here and say that some of the stuff I'm about to talk about is very timely and extremely, you know, what would the other word be? Relevant? I guess it's always relevant, but I mean relevant to the past week or so, like you like every review to be. If you listened to the episode last week, the podcast was down for a couple of months because I was out of town without my equipment and couldn't get everything together that I wanted. But what we're going to do is talk about a few things that have happened since late August. I guess the first show or the furthest back show that I'm going to talk about was at the end of August. And oddly enough, I think I'm going to do that one last because that one Jason will actually be joining me to talk about. We recorded our reaction to the Glenn Hughes show in Dallas, Texas after the show when we were still in Dallas. So I'm going to play that back for you. So that one's easy enough. I don't have to remember everything, right? Because I talked about it then. But I will, you know, I do remember because really, you know, it's been a little under three months and Glenn Hughes is one of the greatest performers in the history of rock and roll. I've said that on his podcast numerous times. He's been on this podcast twice, which is one of the coolest things that I've ever been able to say in my life, that I've talked to Glenn Hughes in length two different times. One of those being just this past summer, actually it was early August, I believe, or late July, in preparation for the tour that he went on that we were able to catch in Dallas. He actually went on out on tour with Ingve Malmsteen, but the show in Dallas was Glenn Hughes by himself. So, like I said, that'll all be coming up here in a bit. I'm also going to talk about, let me see here, Pantera, Guns N' Roses, Dirty Honey, ACDC, Les Claypool. I think that probably covers it. I need to look at my notes here, but before I jump into this, I need to let you know who we're sponsored by. And that would be DEB Concerts. They actually promoted part of the show that I'm going to talk to you about that Pantera played, which is Rocklahoma. DEB Concerts promotes and books the Roadhouse stage every year at Rocklahoma. Always fantastic artist on there. It's one of the three main stages at Rocklahoma. Next year, of course, will be no different. Rocklahoma every year during Labor Day weekend. DB Concerts has also brought tons of great acts to the Tulsa area. Brought in club-level acts. They've brought in arena-level acts. They started booking shows at the BOK Center and have brought in Megadeth, Lamb of God, Poison, Ice Cube, Snoop Dogg, more than once. And of course, at the club-level bands like Buck Cherry, Lita Ford, Saxon, Last in Line, Junkyard, L.A. Guns, the list is huge, the list is long, and it will continue. John Karabi was just here last month, thanks to DEB Concerts. And most of these shows the DEB Concerts puts on are hosted by Eddie Trunk. So get on debconcerts.com, follow them on our socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are all, excuse me, X are all at DEB Concerts. So follow them on all the socials so you're kept up to date on future announcements and of course i'll keep you up to date right here as well we've also got sunset tattoo a tattoo shop located in midtown tulsa 
right there on 15th Street. Their tattoos are done getting proper. They're state licensed. And yes, they are mother approved. Jake Thompson has nearly 30 years of experience tattooing. Been doing this a long time. He's got a great crew over there. If you hit him up on his socials, Instagram and Facebook are both Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. There's tons of photos on there. You can see that they specialize in all different styles of work. Go through there. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hit me up. I've had work done by him. I know that other musicians in this town have had work done by him. I know that musicians that tour across this country throughout the years have had work done by Jake. He used to own the Downtown Lounge, which was right across from the Brady Theater in Tulsa, not far from the BOK Center or the Canes Barroom. So a lot of times when artists would come into town, they would hop over to DTO to hang out because it was the place to be. But the place to be now is Sunset Tattoo. So hit them up, schedule a time to get in there to talk about what work you're looking to have done. If you're not sure exactly, but you've got an idea, Sunset Tattoo can help you put that idea together. Put it down on paper and then ultimately put it on your skin. Walk-ins are also welcome. So hit up Sunset Tattoo and tell them you heard about him on Thunder Underground. It is the weekend after Thanksgiving when I'm recording this. So I hope that you had a happy Thanksgiving. Hope you had a wonderful Black Friday. Whether you shopped or not, I just hope you had a good Friday. By the time you're hearing this, I will be in Japan. I'm going to Japan for almost two weeks. A little under, or about a week and a half before I head to Saudi Arabia to work the music festival there called Soundstorm, which if you listen to this podcast for more than a year, you might have heard me talk about it last year. I worked Soundstorm in Saudi Arabia in 2022. So happy to be able to go back to that again. It's not really relatable as far as the genres we talk about here on Thunder Underground. It's not hard rock. It's not even rock at all. There might be a rock act or two on the the bill but I use the term rock loosely because it would be like rock, like 21 Pilots or whatever people want to consider rock. There really isn't, you know, I don't know. It's such a loose term, you know, rock and roll encompasses all. That's the argument that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame makes, right? That they put in hip hop and country and that's great. It's all music. I don't even know where, how I got off on that, but the point is recorded this a few days ago. So I could get this out to you while I'm gone. Once I record one after I'm in Japan, maybe I'll be able to talk to you about a concert that I saw there. I'm not going to mention it beforehand because it's not 100%, but there's a good chance that me, I'm going with a couple friends of mine that are working with me in Saudi Arabia. Shout out to Mitch and Seb. And Max will be there for the beginning of our trip. There's a possibility we might go to a show that is relatable to this podcast, music-wise. So if that happens, you'll definitely be getting a review here, because the fact that I can say, hey, I went to a concert in Japan is something that I've always wanted to say. I'm not going to be able to go to live at Budokan featuring Cheap Trick, you know, from 40 plus years ago, so I'll just have to make do with what I can do. But with all that being said, I do want to go by Budokan just so I can say, yo, I want you to want me. I'm sure I won't be the first dork from out of country to do that. But all right, so let's jump back to Labor Day weekend, Rocklahoma, 2023. Actually, two episodes ago, sounds funny to say that, but two episodes ago was a Rocklahoma preview. I put it out like the day or two before Rocklahoma, featuring my friend John Stowe. 
I had John on because he has been to all 16 Rocklahomas now, just like myself. And we talked about, of course, this year's Rocklahoma. And then everything, you know, just our experiences from throughout the years. Some of our favorite shows. Things we loved about the early days. Changes that we like or didn't like whatsoever. So, if you're a fan of Rocklahoma, if you're from the area, or if you're not, you're just a fan of music festivals, that's a good one to check out. But on that episode, John and I talked about Pantera a bit, because they were one of the three main headliners of Rocklahoma this year. They're the only one that I got to see their entire set of, made sure of that. Pantera has long been one of my favorite bands. I got the chance to see them eight times in the 90s. I got the opportunity to meet all four of those guys on separate occasions. Well, I met Dimebag and Vinny at the same occasion whenever Damage Plan was touring after Pantera broke up. And I met Phil and Rex at separate times in the 90s while Pantera was still touring and still together. So that was super cool for me back then. And then later, you know, advanced forward a few years ago, Jason and I did a podcast with Jimmy Bauer, which is another one to great, great one to check out because Jimmy Bauer was in super joint and down with Phil, Philip H. and Samo. Jimmy Bauer, of course, is also the drummer for I Hate God. So check that out. If you're not a fan, I mean, if you're not familiar with I Hate God and you love hardcore music, I don't know where you've been all these years. Look that up. Super joint, down, Jimmy Bauer, one of the unheralded musicians of heavy music, in my opinion. The point I brought all that up and went off on that minute-long tangent is that during this interview, we did it on the bus, Super Joint's bus with Jimmy in the front of the bus, and then Phil kind of walked out of the back of the bus while we were recording to make himself some coffee, and then he commented on a guy standing outside. You know, so he was on a podcast for like 15 seconds. So, you know, there's the Pantera relation to the podcast as far as someone that's actually been on the podcast. I've also had on Steven Taylor, who was the guitarist for Phil's solo band, The Illegals. Jason and I talked to him whenever Phil and Somo, along with Child Bite, were in Fayetteville several years ago as well. But again, we're talking about Pantera. I'm going to try not to go too much into this because I've talked about it in length many times, but I am 100% for this Pantera reunion. Even before the first time they played, and then up to now. I was kind of going back and forth on where to say this because, you know, I've always, something else I've not really shied away. I mean, I guess, yeah, I've shied away from it, but I mean, I've spoken many times about the fact that, you know, what I do for a living is I work music festivals and other events, but mostly music festivals. And, you know, I'll talk about, of course, a show I want, you know, I worked Rock Oklahoma, I worked Blue Ridge Rock Fest, which is a whole story in itself. Then, then I worked, you know, as far as rock festivals this year, rock goes, that might be it. But, you know, I've worked tons of EDM and country and pop 
and all this other stuff throughout the year. And, you know, I'll talk about, a, you know, if something I worked, if it's relatable or if I got to catch an artist, which is what I'm doing now. You know, I caught Pantera on a show I was working, so I'm getting to talk about it. But the point being is I usually don't talk about behind the scenes stuff other than saying, you know, hey, I did this or got to see this or got to meet this person. But I've shied away from talking about conversations or anything when I've done things like artist relations or artist transportation where you're interacting with artists on a different level than you would as a podcaster or as a fan. But I'm going to say this because, you know, it's not really anything to not go into, but at Blue Ridge Rock Fest, I was working artist relations and I picked up V-Man, the bass player from Slipknot. So he could, I picked him up and took him over to the stage I was working at because Job for a Cowboy was doing their reunion show, their first show in, I believe it was like 12 years, which was fantastic, by the way. I guess that's something else I could talk about here briefly. But on the way there, we were talking about the previous year's Blue Ridge because Slipknot, you know, performed two years in a row and then. V-Man was talking about seeing Pantera live. Pantera didn't end up playing. They were one of the bands that got, you know, canceled due to the fact that Blue Ridge was canceled. Over half of it was canceled. But all this is being said that V-Man mentioned that, you know, the first Pantera show back with Zach and Charlie on board was in, cameras Brazil, it was somewhere in South America, I believe, Chile, maybe with part of the, you know, not fest. And I remember looking at videos and it was cool because, you know, the crowd was just going apeshit because, of course, this is the first official Pantera show. And at that point, or at this point, you know, 23 years. And he mentioned that, or actually this, when was that? Was that the beginning of this year? Who cares? The point is, he mentioned that he thought that it sounded good but it wasn't 100% cohesive. This is something good for you Van Halen diehards to listen to, okay? Which is another subject in itself. But he said it didn't sound like, you know, four cohesive bandmates. It sounded great because it's Zach Wild, it's Charlie Benante, and it's Rex and Phil. Rex and Phil know that shit like the back of their hand, even if it's been 20 plus years. And you know these guys did tons of rehearsal, but it's one of those things. But then he said, then I saw them again, you know, a few weeks later at another show. They met up on a festival or something. He said, then I saw him like a month later and it was fucking flawless. He's like, so it's like it took it a second, you know, to get into it. But the point of all that being said is that if you're one of those people that watched a video at the beginning and thought, and this isn't for me, you know, maybe it's not for you regardless because you have this opinion set in your mind. But I'm 100% for this. I believe that. All the people crying, it's not Pantera. You know, I mean, there's a 99% chance that you're a hypocrite because I guarantee you like a band that is half gone or like a band that's three-fourths gone. Or if you're a fan of, say, Foreigner, Quiet Riot, or some of these bands that are out there touring with not a single original member. There's actually more than you think. I love Pantera. I love the fact they're back. I love the fact that Phil and Rex are doing this. I've said this lots of times with bands like Alice in Chains or Stone Temple Pilots. Just because someone passed away doesn't mean that someone else in that band doesn't deserve the right to get out there 
make music for the fans and make money off of something they helped create. And then there's all the people crying that, yo, it's not the original thing anyway. Phil wasn't an original member. Yeah, we, we know. We all know that. You're not breaking news. You're not shocking when you come out and say that Pantera, you know, had glam tendencies in the 80s and Phil wasn't on the first three albums in the 80s. But no one gives a fuck because Cowboys from Hell in 1990 is the first album when it comes to major label and the first album that 75% or more, probably more people in your casual, your rock fans know. That's what they know is the first album. That's what is recognized as the first album. So Phil, Rex, and these three guys, other two guys, of course, that you know, the Abbott brothers, are the original members of Pantera when it comes to that, okay? When it comes to the fact that Terry Glaze isn't there, no one expected Terry Glaze to be around. And the fact that Rex wasn't the original bassist is irrelevant because that was like in 1984, okay? By all means, Rex is an original member. He was there within a year. So when I saw Pantera at Rocklahoma, the show opened with a new level and went straight through for an hour and 20 minutes, roughly, maybe an hour and a half, and fucking phenomenal. I am in a very, I'm in a very small minority of people that thought, you know, that was for this, but thought that Zach Wilde wasn't the perfect person because so many people were like, Zach Wilde's the perfect person to this. And it was always because, you know, Zach's great and he was really close friends with Dimebag. That's great that you're close friends with Dimebag, but these two guys don't sound, these two guys' styles are totally different. Which again, this is something for you Van Halen fans to listen to. Sure, Zach does those, pin, what's it called? You know, I'm not a guitarist. The pinch harmonics, the, the walls, the fucking, you know, thing he does at the end, you know, that is very recognizable as Zach. And when I watched videos early on, yeah, he still did that in the Pantera show. But then, it, you know, I've talked about this on other episodes with Jason. It's like, you can look at this either way, you know, because I love it whenever someone does a cover of a song. And they do it very much like the original. They show that, hey, you know, we're able to capture this sound and make it. You know, make not a carbon copy, but pretty close, you know, just doing the same style. But then I also love it whenever someone does a cover. And it's totally different. They put in their own style. And then those people in the middle that somehow capture both, like Seven Dust did with The Day I Tried to Live. It sounds it sounds like you're listening to a Seven Dust song. But you know the whole time you're listening to a Soundgarden song that they covered. And it does amazing justice to the Soundgarden song, just as much as it sounds just like Seven Dust. So... That's what I believe Zach is doing. He sounds like Zach, but he's also sounding like Dimebag because it sounds like Pantera, right? Charlie Benante is doing it more along the lines of mimicking because he can, because Charlie Benante is one of the greatest drummers in heavy metal. Dime, uh, Vinny had such a powerful sound that was very recognizable when it came when it comes to drummers. You know, a lot of drummers kind of just get lost in the mix you know, to your casual, to people that aren't drummers, to non-musicians. But Vinny had one of those sounds like Alex Van Halen or Neil Peart or John Bonham that kind of stand out. Charlie does as well. 
you know, he's one of the two greatest thrash drummers ever with Dave Lombardo, in my opinion. And he's the perfect choice for this because just like Zach, you know, he was, people were saying about Zach, you know, he's friends. He was great friends with Vinny and Dimebag. The band sounded phenomenal at Rocklahoma. It's the only show that I've seen in person since I've got back together. I know a few of the people that have seen him four or five times. My friend Kevin Graham, you know, saw him at Rocklahoma. I know I've seen him open for Metallica three, two or three times now. And then they played not far from here in Rogers, Arkansas with Lame of God. And then Pantera just announced, you know, doing another tour, I believe. Was that with Lame of God? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they announced the sec- next leg of that. You know, they were doing all these shows in between the Metallica dates. So they announced more dates starting in January, February of 2024. So look that up. You know, they're hitting a lot of areas that they didn't hit with either Metallica or on their own. So if you're from the area I'm from, they're not going to be around here during that. But I'm sure they'll keep going. I just saw a headline a couple of days ago where someone asked Zach in an interview if this was just going to keep going forward, you know, like a full band or if it was kind of just like a celebration thing for this year or two. And he said, I don't know why you wouldn't want it to keep going, which obviously isn't really ultimately his call. And again, you know, at Rocklahoma, I met Rita Haney, you know, Dimebag's longtime girlfriend, basically common law wife, I would assume. And, uh, She's been wildly supportive of this, and she's touring, hitting all the shows that Pantera would hit, and she set up her booth with all the, you know, all the apparel and all the memorabilia, you know, they have a lot of memorabilia of dimes on display, Diamond Vinnies, and they sell, get a wide, huge selection of shirts, you know, just other merch you can buy to celebrate, you know, the legacy of Dime Bag and Vinny. I actually bought a photo that was drawn by Charlie Benante. He drew, you know, he's a great artist and he drew a photo of Dimebag and Vinny as Simpsons characters. And I'm a massive fan of the Simpsons, so this was a no-brainer that I needed to get this and it was autographed by Charlie. And I believe there was only 50 of these or maybe it was 100. But I happened to be able to grab one of those, got the chance to talk to Rita for a bit and, uh, she even took a picture of my Pantera tattoo because it was a Pantera and Typo Negative combo tattoo. So it's more unique than the other thousands of Pantera CFH tattoos that are out there. But with all that being said, if you're going to a Pantera show, do not miss that. You get the chance to meet and talk to Rita. You know, she'll stand there and talk to anyone at length. You know, I watched, you know. I stood there for a while while I was looking around at stuff, just watching. She talked to someone for 10, 15 minutes before she went to the next person. So it's not a standard, you know, hi, shake your hand, get a photo and get out of my face type thing, you know. So she's very personable, very cool with the fans. She's always been that way going back into the day, into the 90s. You know, I remember meeting her. It was after this podcast started. It was actually the Ride for Dime event, you know, that she started. It was in Dallas, me and Jason. You know, went down there in the early days of this podcast, one of the first couple of years, and saw COC was headlining it. Who else was on that bill? Mothership, Prong, such a great lineup. Rita was there, and actually Jake Thompson, who I mentioned earlier, from Sunset Tattoo, introduced us. 
I didn't ever meet her back in the day, but like I said, I did get to meet Dimebag, but something that someone mentioned, you know, then is like, you should get Rita on the podcast. And I'm like, that's a good point. Just something I don't know why hadn't crossed my mind up until that point. So that's something I'm going to look into trying to do early in 2024 when I get back into the swing of being able to get these out to you on a weekly basis. There's a few other things that have been talked about and in the works. But a side tangent real quick, something I wanted to mention. I mentioned twice there in that deal about Pantera, Van Halen, which is relatable because a lot of people were bitching. A lot of diehard Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen fans were bitching about Joe Satriani's performance on the Howard Stern show. When him, Sammy, Michael Anthony were the guests, excuse me, were the guests on Howard Stern because, you know, just recently, if you hadn't heard a couple weeks ago, Sammy Hagar announced that they're going out on tour next summer. And instead of it being, you know, they did, they've done a couple of things in the past as the other half, which is, you know, the other half of Van Halen, Michael Anthony, Sammy Hagar. They've done a couple, you know, they did stuff as the circle, which was Sammy Michael, Jason Bonham on drums, and then Vic, Sammy's longtime guitarist, Vic Johnson on guitar. And then, of course, you've got Chickenfoot, which is Sammy, Michael, Joe Satriani on guitar, and Chad Smith on drums. With, on occasion, Kenny Aronoff on drums, which, I mean, we're just mentioning some of the greatest drummers of all time here, aren't we? Which, when they played Rocklahoma a long time ago, like maybe a decade ago now, Kenny was on, Kenny was there with them because Chad Smith, you know, had other stuff going on, which is called the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but. So this got announced. Joe Satriani in this group, and the the point of all this being is that it's Sammy Hagar basically build tour, but they're doing it as a, as a celebration to Van Halen. You know, because Sammy's mentioned it in length throughout the past couple years that he wants there to be some sort of tribute to Eddie Van Halen, whether it's like a huge one-off thing like the Foo Fighters did for Taylor Hawkins. You know, whether they do a some kind of tour, you know, where they have different guitarists come out, you know, or whatever. But none of this ever comes to light because, you know, Wolfgang has said in the past that he, I believe, if I'm recalling right, has said that he would be open to, a, you know, I guess, signing off on it. I don't know if he has to or what, but if, you know, if everybody was on board, but someone's holding it up. And we know it's not Dave Lee Roth because we know that he would do this shit in a heartbeat just, you know, because he's kind of that ego type guy who wants to be out there. But I, I you know, I'm just speculating, right? So we, we would all assume that the person that doesn't want to do anything is Alex Van Allen. Because as soon as Eddie passed away, I remember on our tribute episode that me and Jason did, which was still one of my favorite episodes of all time. We had 14 separate guests on that podcast, 14 separate interviews talking about their love for Eddie Van Halen. It's like three and a half hours long. Like Frank Hannon from Tesla, Paige Hamilton from Helmet, Mark Slaughter. Man, the list is freaking long. But all that is to say that they announced this tour and that, you know, Sammy said that, you know, in the past when they did the circle, whenever him and Michael was touring together, they would go out and play, you know, all the Sammy solo hits and they would throw in like 
five or so Van Halen songs, of course, from the Sammy era. This time, it's going to be the opposite. He said, you know, they're probably my play four or five, you know, of the Hagar hits, probably a Montrose song or something, maybe even Chicken Foot, since three of the four members are there. And the rest of the show is going to be all Van Halen. So that this will be celebrated on tour. Side note, you know, he mentioned when it was announced, you know, David Lee Roth and Alex Van Halen, you're welcome to show up. And then, of course, David Lee Roth came out and said, let's do it. Let's go on tour. I don't remember exactly how he worded it. And Sammy Hagar came back out and said, no, that's not what I meant. Because any rational human being or musician would not want to go out on tour with David Lee Roth. I mean, again, I don't know David Lee Roth. I'm just telling you what I've heard from throughout the years, you know. I honestly don't want to see David Lee Roth singing a Van Halen song ever again. I would love to go back and listen to Van Halen all the time. Those first six albums are fucking phenomenal. And I've, you know, I've said it many times. I'm a bigger fan of the Sammy Hagar era, but I mean, I'm talking like a tiny bit. Like, you know, those, you can't fucking deny David Lee Roth as a, you know, he's one of the greatest frontmen of all time. But when it comes to his abilities in recent times, not so much. But yeah. If they're playing somewhere and they brought out David Lee Roth and he sang a couple Van Halen songs, that'd be great. If Alex Van Halen got up there, I mean, people would shit their pants. I don't believe it'll happen because I don't. When it comes to music, especially, there's always that never say never thing. You know, I mean, Guns N' Roses, of course, people said would never happen again with Slash and Axel together. There's very few things that don't happen. Pink Floyd with David and Roger is probably the only holdout, you know, really, right? And that'll probably end that way because they're getting pretty old. But I don't think Alex Van Halen will ever step on a stage in public again to play music with someone that is not Eddie Van Halen. It's possible if Wolfgang is up there that he would get up there. That's the only caveat, but... And that's something that could change, you know? I mean, Wolfgang is not playing Van Halen live. He said that repeatedly, and I'm 100% for it. I think that's great. You know, the only thing he's ever done is at the Taylor Hawkins tribute where he got up there and fucking nailed Panama. And then he played something else. Was it Hot for Teacher? Two songs. I can't remember. I think it was Hot for Teacher. But fucking nailed it. Sounded great. All this back to saying that Joe Satriani, Eddie Van Halen Diards were bitching about how he sounded on Mean Street. How it wasn't accurate. How it wasn't perfect. How it wasn't great. God, I'm drawing a blank. Someone, trying to remember what it was, some guitarist posted a video this past week. I remember sharing it to Jason and he said, that's a hundred percent accurate. This guy was like, let me, let me get this straight, which is the exact thought I was having. It's like, let me get this straight. You're a guitarist and you're talking shit about Joe Satriani. I mean, that's where the conversation ends. Joe Satriani and Andy Van Halen are wildly different sounds when it comes to their tone. But I guarantee if Eddie Van Halen was alive and he walked up to him and said, you know, Satriani sucks compared to you. He would probably just walk off and not even acknowledge the fact that you exist. Cause that's a dumb fucking statement. Joe Satriani is one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Just like Eddie Van Halen. In fact, if you're making a top 10, maybe even a top five rock guitarist of all time, those two names are on it. There's no one else that you could get that is, that is as good. That's alive. In my opinion, when it just comes to skill. I'm not talking about a clone. 
Sure, you could get a fucking Eddie clone up there, and it might sound more to your liking. But why would Sam? Why would Sammy Hagar go out and search for a fucking Eddie Van Halen clone whenever he's good friends with one of the greatest guitarists in the world, in Joe Satriani? And again, it's been stated that these guys did not rehearse a lick together for this. Joe Satriani's went forty some years, probably. Who knows if he's ever played Main Street in his life? I'm saying all this to tell you that in six months from now, when he gets on stage and plays Main Street or any other fucking Van Halen song, it's going to kick ass. I'll go on fucking record saying that right now. And I can't wait to see this tour. There's a tangent for you. Where are we at? Rocklahoma. Dime Store Riot played Rocklahoma. I got to see about half their set. It was actually at a time that was not great for me to be able to check a show out, but I just ran over there. And said, screw it. If anyone's calling me on the radio, I'm not going to hear it. Because I'm going to see these guys. I hadn't been able to see them up to that point. They're a band. Based out of the Tulsa area here in Oklahoma. Featuring members. A Fist of Rage Dime Store. Uh, Dime Store, right? Of course they feature members of their, own, of their own band. But it features former members of Grind. Former members of Driver. And a current member of Fist of Rage. And I got, you know, I had them on this podcast. Talking about all that earlier this year in the summer. So, I mean, if you look at back at the list, it's probably just a few episodes ago. Because, like I said, I took all that time off here in September and October. But getting to see these live, guys live, was I knew it was going to be good. Because everybody individually in this band is great. All their previous bands are great. The music they've released is fucking great. It's just straight up hard rock. You can't go wrong. You know, just to be able to see these guys and like in one of their first shows, you know, I mean, they've only been performing since this year. The fact that they sound so cohesive and like such a tightly wound band that like, I can't wait to see what these guys do. I've said this about other bands in the area. I mean, there's a handful of bands around here that I think if the right people heard them, if they got out there on the right show, that they could get picked up and get national quickly because they've got the sound, they've got the look, they've got the stage presence, they've got everything. So look up Dime Store Riot online, follow them on all the socials and check out that episode, excuse me, check out that episode from a few months ago with the four members of Dime Store Riot. Okay, so right after Rocklahoma was Blue Ridge, I've mentioned that, so I guess I should, you know, acknowledge it. Kind of went back and forth on how to talk about this. This show would be a great one to talk about a full episode or more on. Just based off of how great the lineup was. Okay. This one, this show would be great to talk about for a full lengthy episode on. For just everything that went wrong. And, you know, how it could be changed. How it could have been fixed. How, you know, could have been avoided. I don't know. As I said before, I spoke about the Slipknot thing earlier. The V-Man thing. I've shied away from talking about things behind the scenes because it you just got to be smart, right? What I will say is that I worked that show, and a lot of the stuff that you see online from people bitching is correct. There's a lot of information out there that is incorrect, too, that I know firsthand. And I'm not saying this because someone told me, because, you know, a friend of a friend told me, someone else working told me, is because I saw it with my own eyes and know that it is not true. I've seen bands that were there that didn't get to perform, say things that are not true. 
But with all that being said, I'm not trying to discredit anything. I'm sure as hell not like just defending the promoter and the things that went wrong. Because a lot of things went wrong that could have been avoided. But all I'm going to talk about is a couple bands that did get to perform. And I know there will be some people let down, even some people I know that have wanted me to talk about this, but I'm not going to. That's not my place. I mentioned Job for a Cowboy. I'm not. That's a band that I never got into because I never really tried to. It's not like I disliked them. I just never checked them out. You know, it kind of wasn't my scene. You know, and when they were out and big, you know, that was what now, 15, the early 2000s, early to mid 2000s, right? But I know lots of people loved them. And I know when I'd hear them on Sirius, you know, I jammed out to it, but it's just one of those bands I never delved too much into. But I wanted to make sure I caught this set because, you know, anytime a band's back after that long, it's just interesting, you know, to me to like see how it sounds, see how everything's going. You know, there was a decent crowd over there. There's a decent crowd of, like I said, V-Man from Slipknot was over there watching. There's other people that I noticed from bands watching. They fucking threw down. I mean, that's like, I, I watched that and I'm like, this made me want to listen to Job for a Cowboy. And that's what you want from a live show. You want, <clears throat> if you're a band playing, of course, you're playing to your audience. You're playing to the people that paid to come see you. You're playing to the people that bought your merch, that bought your music. But just as much you're playing to those people there, especially at a festival or especially if you're an opener, you're playing to those people that don't know you or those people that just kind of know you or those people that act like they don't like you or whatever. You're playing to them to change their mind or to make them become a fan. And that's exactly what Job for a Cowboy did for me. And I heard other people talking about it later. It was a phenomenal performance. So I just wanted to throw that out there that, you know, and I've said this at length too. If you're ever at a show and there's an opener you haven't heard of, or you're at a festival and you're like, oh, I don't even know who the fuck that is, you know, and you're just off like screwing around, you know, give them a shot for a couple of songs. You know, the Foo Fighters, Metallica, Slipknot, System of a Down, Megadeth. I'm thinking of huge bands that are still touring. All those bands were unheard of at one point. Playing clubs, right? I mean, I saw a band called Smashing Pumpkins open for Guns N' Roses and never heard of them in 1992 before they broke, before they broke big. I mean, it happens, you know. I saw Avenged Sevenfold as a third, fourth band down on a bill with three bands above them that never even made it to a mainstream huge level like they did. You know, so it's like you watch these artists for a reason, because you love rock and roll, you love heavy music, you love whatever. So give them a shot. Another one on a totally wildly different style of rock and roll was Scott Stapp. He played the pre-party at Blue Ridge. And again, I've never shied away from the fact that I really like Creed. And I know that a lot of people, that's one of those bands like Nickelback, that a lot of people are either adamantly for or adamantly against. And I get it. Anytime a band gets big, you know, they're like that middle of the road, hard rock, you know, that radio rock, quote unquote, whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? But everybody knows, you know, how wildly great Mark Tremonti was as a guitarist. And of course, once Alter Bridge came along, I mean, you heard it even more. 
but that's beside the point. I'm talking about Scott Stapp. He, you know, has been touring off and on throughout the years with a solo band. Great musicians. You know, and they played a couple solo songs and then the rest of the show was Creed. And it was fucking great. <laughs> so I'm just saying that to let you know this Creed reunion got announced for next year. They're doing a, excuse me, they're doing, I believe it's two separate cruises. I know that they announced a cruise a while back and it instantly sold out, like instant, like really quickly sold out within a few days, I guess, or something. So I think they announced a second cruise, which is kind of crazy because normally with these cruises, it's a one-off deal, even if it is a quick sellout. But <clears throat> they also announced a full tour next summer. They've got Three Doors Down opening for them. So, I mean, that kind of shows you. I mean, Three Doors Down just finished an amphitheater tour as a headliner with Candlebox opening. So that kind of shows you how big of a deal Creed getting back together is. You know, they've got a, a headliner opening up for them. And the the show itself, I think every show is going to feature like four bands. They've got like, if you look at the graphic for it, it's got like maybe six or eight bands on the, the list. It looks like a huge, you know, a great day-long festival, but it's actually like different shows. Like I know Tonic is one of them. A lot of Fuel, maybe a lot of the bands from that time period, late 90s, early 2000s, a lot of the radio rock, hard rock bands from that time period, like Creed and Three Doors Down. Get Get out there and check that out. If you're a Scott Staff hater, you know, it's not my problem. Just ignore what I just said. If you're in the area and you like him, he's going to be in Tulsa at the end of the year. At the, it's either the Hard Rock or River Spirit um, Casino. I believe it's December 29th. So go out there, get yourself some, get yourself a Creed fix if that's what you need. Okay, so then right after this, right after Blue Ridge, I was on my way to Nashville to, I was on my way from Virginia to Nashville to see, not to see, to start working a two-week Luke Bryan tour. But before I got to Nashville, I stopped in Knoxville because Guns N' Roses tour happened to go through there and it timed out perfectly that they were there on the one day I had off between two gigs. I've spoken at length throughout the history of this podcast that Guns N' Roses is my favorite band of all time since I was a kid. Another band that is wildly divisive when people talk about them. Not just in general, I guess that's a, not truly accurate. I think positive, it flows more on the positive side when you just talk about Guns N' Roses like recorded music or just their place in history. More often than not, people want slag on it. There is a hand, you know, there's a lot of people out there that don't like anything after Appetite, but I mean, that goes along with for any band. But when it comes to the live version of Guns N' Roses, solely because of Axl Rose. And I try to talk about this objectively, even though I'm, like I said, it's my favorite band. So sometimes you're going to get real homerist or some homerisms thrown in or whatever. And yes, <clears throat> I always lean towards the side of defending Axl, which I'm about to do again, but I'm also going to tell you I get it because there are there is a period, you know, I'm not going to say exactly when because I can't remember exact dates, but I've seen Guns N' Roses now 10 times, I believe. And to some people that don't go to a lot of shows, that's a lot of times to see one band. But with them being my favorite band, that's kind of a small amount compared to others. You know, I've seen Tesla, who's one of my favorite bands, 30 times, like one of my top three bands. I've seen other bands 15, 20 times. But it's also because the opportunities are way more plentiful than Guns N' Roses because there, of course, was a huge period 
where Guns N' Roses didn't play a lot of shows. You know, of course, the mid to late 90s, they played no shows. And then the early 2000s, they started playing shows again. But it never came this area of the country. And then by the end of the early 2000s, whenever Chinese Democracy came out, which was 2008 or 2009, or was it eight? Regardless, might have been eight. It, uh, you know, they went on the Chinese Democracy tour all over the place. You know, I got a chance to see that. And back then, I know there were times you see videos, sometimes he sounded great, sometimes he didn't. But that's that's the curse of Axl Rose, in my opinion, is sometimes he just doesn't, sometimes he does. But the times I've seen him in recent years, since they've got back together, is the majority of the times I've seen him. You know, I only saw him three times before the Not In Us Lifetime thing started in 2016, where Duff and Slash came back. And the first two shows I saw during that were in Dallas and Houston. I was right on the rail, geeking the fuck out. Not going to lie to you. This is, this is an event to me. You know, this, like, even now when I went to Knoxville, it's just like it feels different. You know, it feels cool when you walk in the venue to see one of your favorite bands. But the majority of us have a pinnacle, an absolute favorite band, right? I mean, I know there's some people that don't, which is weird to me, but I've talked to people when I ask them, we talk about music, like, I don't really have a favorite band. I just got a lot of, I'm like, okay, you know, it's just kind of odd, but maybe not, you know, you like so much stuff equally. That's cool. Because, you know, me, after you get past Guns N' Roses, I've always said Faith No More and Tesla are right there at two and three. And then you've got Pantera, Typo Negative, Anthrax, you know, Zach Wilde, The Cult. You know, anything to do with, like, that Megadeth, Ozzy, you know, Skid Row, John Crabby. I'm, you know, all this stuff that, like, just floats around there, you know, at the same level. So I, I guess I can get that. But for me, Guns N' Roses, when I walk in the door, it feels different. The excitement inside feels different than it does for any other band I love. And especially when you're right up there at front. The first time I got that opportunity to see him right up front was at, on the Chinese democracy thing. I think there was like one or two people in front of us to the rail. I was right there in front of DJ Ashba. So that doesn't really count, right? <laughs> but then again, you know, Axel, of course, is moving around and was over there a lot. But talking about Knoxville. For me, Axel Rose, he doesn't project, I think. You know, I'm not a vocalist. I'm not a fucking trained anything, so I can't speak on any of this like I'm some kind of authority. But to me, he doesn't project the same way he used to. I mean, the majority of people don't. The man's 60, right? Or around 60? Late 50s? Anyone getting that old. I mean, there's people like Rob Halford or Dolly Parton or whoever that still have, they can still hit high notes that are just, that, you know, but that's unnatural, you know. Bruce Dickinson can still hit those high notes and run around. And sure, even those guys aren't hitting it as perfect as they did 30 years ago, but they still sound fucking phenomenal. And they're doing it at a high level at an old age, which is amazing. You know, Mick Jagger, you know, is how old is he now? In his eight, early 80s? And he sounds good live. Of course, he, you know, is Mick Jagger. He was never hitting high notes, so it's an easier thing to control. But still, Axel's got a very unique voice, which... I saw something years ago that, I don't remember if it was like Rolling Stone or Spin or fucking Billboard or one of the, you know, major music publications posted this thing about 
artists throughout history. And I believe it was just rock and roll, but it was like the widest range of any artist. And I can't remember if it was just on a recorded level or recorded and live or what, but Axl Rose was number one. And a lot of people would hear that and, and laugh and think, well, this guy's just hitting high notes. And then, you know, then he sings, you know, like a song like It's So Easy or Patience or, you know, what else am I thinking that, you know, where he's just locomotive, something where he's, you know, singing with a normal, deeper register, I guess. But as he's gotten older, but see, that's the other thing. He doesn't, that's the thing I appreciate about Axel is he doesn't try to push out screams that are extremely like the live and let die scream. You know, the screams that are just like, you know, that like, he doesn't go up there and try to do it and sound like an idiot like Vince Neil would do if he was hitting, you know, if he had done a scream like that on record. You know, he doesn't, it's like Joe Elliott. That's the great thing about Def Leppard Live, in my opinion, is that Joe Elliott at some point in the past 15, 20 years, you know, realized that he didn't have the same voice that he had in the 80s and early 90s. So he dropped down a bit and it fucking works. It sounds great. It sounds like he's not trying, it's not too far away from what he used to be, but he's not trying to hit a note that is going to come off, you know, wrong live. So then Axel, you know, when he's singing, you'll hear a song. I should have, you know, thought about this deeper on song, actual songs to pinpoint, but I'll hear a song live and think, man, that sounds, he sounds great. And then the next song I hear it and be like, yeah, it's a little iffy, you know? So it's like, you get half the songs where it sounds really good and then half the songs where it's kind of like, eh, he might be, you know, it sounds like a struggle, but it, it also really doesn't look like a struggle because I feel like it's just because his voice doesn't project the same power that it did, which is makes it sound that way, which, you know, I guess technically is a struggle, right? Cause you're not a hundred percent of what people know you for. Right. But at, at the end of the day, it's like, what's the argument here? Just be happy that you can still go see him. You don't have to pay money to see a band if you don't like them. That's the end of the day, right? I mean, that's the end of the story, right? I guess. I mean, to me, you know, the band is so cool when it comes to live shows because, you know, Slash, you know, still moving around all over the place, still nonstop. You know, that's the other thing that just baffles me. This band will pay, you know, in freaking Knoxville, I played three hours and 10 minutes, I believe it was, or 20 minutes. It was a long ass fucking show and Guns N' Roses has always done that. But especially since they come back, shows have always been between two and a half and upwards of three and a half hours long, which most bands don't do anything near that. Outside, you know, Metallica does it. Pearl Jam does it. I know Foo Fighters sometimes do it. Bruce Springsteen does it. <clears throat> but isn't that funny that all the bands I just listed are fucking massive and they're the ones doing it? And in bands that aren't massive, go out there and play a headline set that's an hour and ten minutes or some dumb bullshit. I don't know. Maybe you should take lessons from people that are extremely huge, you know, on how long a show should be, right? I don't know. But, you know, again, that's just an opinion. The band always sounds great. Sure, you know, like when I saw them in Knoxville, it doesn't have the same attitude it had in the 90s. But why would it? In the early 90s, these guys were like in their mid-late 20s, right? And now they're late 20s, I guess. I always remember this because in 1991, Axl Rose was 28 because in the song Estranged, 
he says that he's 28. Or he says he's only 28. Maybe he wrote it the year before. But that's just how I remember. Okay. So that is now 32 years ago. Almost 33. So yeah, we're at, we're at the level of 60 for most of these guys. <clears throat> Why would you have the same rawness or attitude you had back then? But Slash is my favorite musician ever. Duff is right up there as well when it comes to just, I love listening to the guy. Side tangent. His most recent solo album, Lighthouse, came out a couple months ago. And it's one of my favorite albums this year. This guy could very much go that route. Take that avenue. If Guns N' Roses right now said we're never performing live again, Duff could just run with this and I believe make an actual, you know, a career out of just doing this kind of music. You know, laid back, kind of, I don't know what to compare it to. I almost said Tom Waits, you know, just, which isn't really accurate, but just like that style of music, but just, you know, a little more rockish to it. But it's your acoustic kind of singer-songwriter, dark sounding stuff, but, you know, a little more added to it. Duff has a very unique voice he always has. You know, his first solo album came out while he was still in Guns N' Roses the first time back in 90... Believe it came out in 93. Believe in me. You know, he had a solo album come out a couple years ago that Shooter Jennings produced, which is great, and then this one's great again. So just check out Duff's solo album, if, or solo music if you had, but especially this new one, Lighthouse. But the band as a whole in Knoxville sounded great. Again, I just gave you my opinion on Axel. I absolutely love the guy when it comes to rock and roll. I know that he people hate him because of all the stuff in the day, you know, where he showed up late, did all that, all that dumb bullshit. The guy rarely does interviews. They actually just did an interview last week. He was out of F1 and did like a short interview with, I don't know if it was a sports, who the, I can't even remember who it was. It wasn't a music related thing, I don't think, but <clears throat> it was a rare Video interview with Axel, so check that out. But yeah, Dirty Honey opened the show. Another album that came out not that long ago, Dirty Honey's new album. So fucking good. Again, one of my favorite albums of the year. This band said it repeatedly. I believe they are one of the saviors of rock and roll. Dirty Honey and Rival Sons. I believe that 30 years from now we'll be talking about them the same way that I was just talking about Guns N' Roses and Metallica, Pantera, and all these other legendary acts. At least I hope so, because Dirty Honey and Rival Sons have the sound, have the attitude, have the, already have the catalog to do that. Dirty Honey, literally, this is their second full album. They have two albums and an EP now. They're one of my favorite bands to come out in the past decade. All killer, no filler. This band defines that to a T. I've never heard a song from Dirty Honey I don't like. I've said that about bands like Evergrey. There's never, you know, a song that I want to just hit skip. I'll just listen to it. Dirty Honey is so good, and live is the same way. And, you know, it's when you see a band in an arena opening up for a major band, you know, <clears throat> the drums are pushed up front. They have a small area to work with. You're sometimes dealing with a diehard crowd that doesn't care, doesn't know who they are. And, I mean, that's the case when they're opening for Guns N' Roses. And Guns N' Roses, you know, has done this since they came back. They'll have a band open for them, you know, a few shows, three or four shows, and then they'll go to another one. And a lot of times it's been like big acts like Alice in Chains, ZZ Top, Carrie Underwood open for them like three or four shows. 
right around the same time that I saw him, you know, Dirty Honey did a few shows. I can't remember who else, like, on this leg of the tour. I know when I saw him a few years ago, like, the Colt opened one, Bass Nectar opened one. I can't remember who opened that other one. But, you know, so they're just, like, not Bass Nectar, fuck, Skrillex. But, anyway, they got up there, commanded that stage, you know, and, and I saw it, you know, you see that. I love it when you see that when an opening band, you know, you kind of see the crowd go from, like, you know, a polite, moderate clap to by the end of the show, like a loud cheer, you know, and, and they gradually had that crowd on their side. And I hope that, you know, people in that audience or any of the other shows they played with Guns N' Roses, you know, looked him up and started listening to him, following these guys, because this is what we need. Like good time fucking rock and roll. Like I said, 30 years ago, they would have fit in perfect 30 years ago because they have that sound like the Black Crows musically. And in vocally, he has a sound, a sound like that would fit in with the era of Guns N' Roses, you know, like the, the 80s rock guys. You know, I said that the first time I heard Dirty Honey, it sounds like Black Crows with Mark Slaughter singing. I mean, how can you go wrong when you're mixing shit like that and it comes off perfect? So check out Dirty Honey's new album if you haven't. Check them out live if you have not. So fucking good. Like I said, one of the best bands of this era and one of the best bands that I've heard in over a decade, you know, debut at least. So, all right. Next thing is, like I said, a minute ago, I went on that Luke Bryan tour, you know, not really anything to talk about musically because that doesn't relate to rock or metal, but I will say real quickly that Luke Bryan's one of those guys that I've always, that I always kind of made fun of. I, I threw in, you know, cause I've made it, I've never been shy about the fact that I don't appreciate pop country. I love a lot of country. I love old school country and I love a lot of new country. You guys like Shooter Jennings, Whitey Morgan, Chris Stapleton, Sturgill Simpson, Cody Jinks. You know, just all all these guys like this that have that real country sound, that old school country sound. It doesn't sound forced. It doesn't sound fake. It doesn't sound like pop music. But I always threw in Luke Bryan as one of the kind of, you know, modern day leaders of the pop country thing. And honestly, I couldn't name you a single Luke Bryan song by name. I know I've heard him throughout the years, but I couldn't have named you one before that tour. And I went on that out on that tour. It was a short two-week, say, a seven-day um, farm tour where he actually performs on a farm. I mean, it's such a cool concept because they go out, I mean, a legit farm. Like, they're all working farms, like dairy farms and different things where they have, you know, they just go out to one of the huge fields. Some of them were like cornfields or whatever. Massive space, 20,000 people show up legitimately. I think one of the shows had like 12,000 and the other shows all had around right under 20 and one of them was 20 plus. No promoter. It's entirely booked and managed by Luke Bryan's team. So that way that the farm, the community gets way more money than they would if a major promoter was involved. And then of course, Luke Bryan makes more money that way as well. It's a cooler experience probably for fans, you know. It's set up like like a little mini festival with, you know, all the vendors and, and stuff out there as well. You know, you get to watch the running of the Cowboys like you do at shows like Stagecoach and, you know, I mean, even non-country shows. Like any show where it's GA and they open the gates at a festival. If you're out there, check it out because you'll see a huge group of people running across 
to try to, you know, be the first people, the GA people up at the, at the rail. But, you know, you watch the Luke Bryan's because it's on a farm, so there's lots of divots and way more chances for people to trip and fall. So, you know, that's a fun thing to watch. But what I will say is that Luke Bryan, his crew, himself, all these people, all amazing people, amazing to just, like, talk to, get to know their, the way they treat people working with them they don't know, the way they treat fans, the way they treat everybody was top of the line. And in seeing the show live, like, I went out there a couple of times, and caught part of the set, just like his atmosphere is a full-on like party atmosphere. People are going, you know, just having a great fucking time, and that's all you you know you can ask for for music, whether you hate it or not. You know, there's twenty thousand people out in the middle of a freaking farm in Michigan going ape shit for this, and it's great. You know, it's it's cool to see. So, I will say this: did that turn me into a fan of that man? So. Am I listening to Luke Bryan songs all the time? No, but I respect the hell out of that dude now. Power Trip was next. For those of you that aren't, you're probably familiar with it if you are a fan of heavy music. If you're listening to this podcast, I would assume you've heard of Power Trip. It was on the side of Coachella, done by Golden Voice, who also does Coachella. Seven years ago, they put on a show there called Desert Trip which featured six of the biggest artists in rock and roll history. The Rolling Stones, The Who, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Paul McCartney, Roger Waters. I mean, that's like one of the biggest gatherings of artists in history. People talked about, you know, maybe this will be like a yearly, but how do you top that, you know? So they never did it again. You could probably find six more legendary artists to pull that off, close to it. But seven years later, they did it. Power Trip, the same concept, but with hard rock and metal. Metallica, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Guns N' Roses, Tool, and the return of ACDC. Six bands, three nights, two bands a night. So it's called a festival. It's set up exactly like a festival. But at the end of the day, it's basically just three concerts a night, right? Because you got two bands playing. And all bands, even the band, first band that went on each night, played a full headline set. Like Iron Maiden, I believe, played over two hours and they were technically an opener, even though it's just billed as you know, six bands. Any of these bands would headline any other thing they played for the most part. You know, unless they were playing with one of these other five bands, right? Or maybe one of the other six that I mentioned a minute ago. I don't know. At Power Trip, I got the chance to see part of Metallica's set, part of Guns N' Roses' set, and I saw ACDC's set in its entirety. I got the opportunity to check that out. Got coverage out there in the area I was working. Shout out to John Rogers for making that happen so I could get in there and not just see a few songs and come back out. I got to see the show in its entirety. I've seen ACDC two times previous to that. Once in the 90s, once on the Black Eyes tour, which was like 15 years ago now, and then this time. So it's spread out a lot over the past 27 years, because the first time was the Ball Breaker tour, which was like 95, 96. 96, I believe, when I saw him. So this was super exciting to me. Got over there, staying down in the pit in the crowd with everybody. 
Same thing I kind of mentioned with that feeling I got when I go to Guns N' Roses show, that feeling you get when you go to your favorite band, that feeling, you know, Jason and I talked about it when you go to an Iron Maiden show and hang out outside with all the people that are following around. It felt like an event. It felt different. There's something in the air, you know, however cheesy that sounds. It just, you had a feeling that you don't get at a normal show. Even the day before. Or was it the day before? Uh, yeah, the day before when Guns N' Roses played, and I got in there for a little bit. It was cool. Like I said, you get that feeling. I'm sitting here watching my, you know, my favorite band of all time. But it didn't even have the same feeling it had that next night when ACDC was going on. It was like, you know, that quote-unquote electric kind of feel. Everybody was just sitting there anticipating it. When they kicked off, everybody's just going nuts, just having a great time. They played a super huge long set list. You know, I can't complain about anything. The only thing I will say is two of my favorite ACDC songs, even though that entire thing, they played all these songs. They didn't play or two of my favorite Brian Johnson ACDC songs or Money Talks. And for those about to rock, not excuse me, for those about to rock, they play that every day. night. Money Talks and Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution. They didn't play either of those. They didn't play Long Way to the Top from the Bon Era. There was something else from the Bon Air I wish they'd played. But again, this show was packed full of songs. The band sounded fucking phenomenal. They come out. Angus Young has solid gray hair now. Last time we saw him, it wasn't solid gray. So that was kind of... You're like, oh yeah, these guys are older than they were. You know, they're seven years older than they were last time we saw them. And they were old then, right? Brian Johnson was the key here. This was their first show in seven years. In their first show in, what, seven and a half years with Brian. Because, remember, Axl Rose took over in 2016 to finish that tour for Brian. Whenever he had the hearing loss and the doctor told him, the doctors told him that he should never perform live again. So flash forward now, he performed live again. And I thought it sounded fucking amazing. I did notice while it was going that it... Same thing I talked about with Axel. He wasn't projecting the same way, but he still sounded good. And then when I went back and looked at videos later, it didn't sound as perfect, or not perfect, but as great as I thought it did live because, you know, things sound different when you watch them live, when you watch them on a cell phone, when you watch them on a highly professional recording, whatever. When you're there live in the moment, everything's different. You know that. It sounded so cool to me. And then watch it back. I'm like, well, maybe he's not as perfect as I thought he was, but he still fucking sounded great for what he had went through, what he came back from. So that only tells me that if they keep rehearsing, if they keep playing more shows, it's just going to keep getting better. And there's talk around this. People think, well, maybe they'll do a full tour. I don't think they'll ever tour again. Jason and I talked about that. I believe actually on this thing coming up where we talk about Glenn Hughes. I don't, Jason said he doesn't think they'll ever perform again, but they actually, they haven't announced yet, but a rumor came out just earlier this week that they're confirmed for a show in, shit, I forgot the country, it was somewhere in Europe, I think it might have been Germany, and that's next year, obviously, so if they're going to do that, then chances are they're going to do more shows, but my guess is they'll stick it to big shows like Power Trip or festival shows, or maybe one-off shows here or there, but not, I don't think you'll see, look, Here's a 40-date, four-month-long U.S. tour from ACDC. I don't think anything like that will ever happen again. So if you're wanting to see them and they announce shows, 
I would think you need to travel. But they sounded great. I'm so glad Brian Johnson and this band is back. Angus. They had, I forgot the guy's name on drums. Damn it. They never announced why Phil Rudd wasn't there. But Phil Rudd did say in an interview he's looking forward to playing future shows. So I guess he thinks he'll be there. I don't know. You'll never know why he wasn't there more than likely unless he says it. Because ACDC has always been tight-lipped about everything. Which I think is kind of cool, you know. That's just one of those bands that's just highly guarded information throughout the years, always. Nine times out of ten, anything you hear news about him is speculation. But so glad I got to see that. The other things I saw there, like I said, Guns N' Roses, same thing, Axel. I heard a song, sounded fucking, I thought he sounded great. Next song, I was like, well, maybe not. But I'm going to keep going until he gets to the day if he starts sounding like Vince Neil or something that bad, then, you know. I'm going to stop. But I love the fact that on these recent shows, Guns N' Roses started playing. That's something else I didn't mention from the Knoxville show. They played uh, Down on the Farm, which is my favorite song off of the Spaghetti Incident, their cover of Down on the Farm, which just blew my mind because I don't know that they'd ever played it before, you know, a few months ago. So when I saw it in the set list, it kind of blew my mind, and I was so happy that they played it at uh, at Knoxville. And then I think they played it again at Power Trip. You know, there for a while, they would always play from Spaghetti Incident. The only song they'd play was You Can't Fit Your Arms Around a Memory or Attitude. Both of those with Duff on vocals. But of course, Down on the Farm has Axel on vocals. And uh, they also played Pretty Tight Up. They started playing that this fall. One of my all-time favorite Guns N' Roses songs. I believe they played it when I saw them in the 90s. But I never, and they never played it again when I saw them. So I was super excited that that happened. Again, what I, all this bullshit I just said is not going to change your mind if you don't like Axl Rose Live. I still like it. I still think it's good enough. I don't think it's amazing. And I sure don't think it's bad. But when it comes to someone like Vince Neil, it's bad. You know, so you can't even compare it. You can't even throw it out and you can't even put it in the same category. So don't even try. At Hulaween, which is a festival in Florida that features jam bands and EDM artists. I bring this up because Les Claypool played there with Les Claypool's Furious... Excuse me. (laughs) Every time I try to say this, I get tongue-tied. His Flying Frog Brigade. Try to say... you try to say brigade, and it just doesn't come out right after Flying Frog. I don't know. But I've only ever seen Les Claypool in the capacity of Primus. And I saw him one time on stage with Tom Morello and Slash, and Perry Farrell and Nuno Betancourt and all these other guys. Which is a whole story in itself. I've told on the podcast a few times, but... Speaking of Nuno, I meant to mention that during the Joe Satchioni thing. He's the only guy that is close to sounding like Eddie Van Halen that I would be comfortable throwing in instead of Joe, Joe Satriani. I'll just put that there. Anyway, Les Claypool is an anomaly in the fact that you can't find too many people out there that are made a name for themselves and have a huge following and a big fan base in two separate genres with different acts. Of course, anyone that knows rock and roll knows Primus. Whether you're a fan or not, you know it. 
you know how great this guy is just by listening to a single song. Speaking of Satriani, I'm not going to say that. Didn't Les Claypool went to school with, at the same school at the same time as Satriani? And then Satriani, like, taught him from stuff? Or am I mixing that up with someone else? I know Kirk Hammett, you know, took lessons from Satriani. I know that Steve Vai did, and then I know... But I know there's a relation there between Les Claypool and Satriani. But, you know, and then Les Claypool is also a huge name in the jam band world when it comes to either the Flying Frog Brigade or Oysterhead. The guy's got several projects out there. I got the chance to see him do their Rush thing a few years ago, or a couple years ago now. God, that was so good. If you missed that, their For All Kings show, their Primus show. But the Flying Frog Brigade... So cool because it, it very much mixes jammish kind of music with that Primus sound. Like, you know, and it Primus is already weird. Les Claypool does weird stuff, but the stuff he does with stuff like Frying Fro- Frog Brigade is even weirder. You know, he'll put on masks. They'll be like, he had on like a helmet that was a disco ball. Just, I mean, it's not like that's too weird, but just like kind of off the wall stuff. You know, I forgot to look up what it was called, but he's got the bass guitar that is like the one, like basically looks like a stick. You know, it's like a, like a stand-up bass would be, but it doesn't have the bottom part. It's like a stick, and he's like hitting it. He did it mainly with a bow, but then he would also do it with his fingers, and it still sounded like just amazing bass work on like a sick five-string bass or something insane, but... It's just one of those things that was really cool to see Les Claypool in a different capacity than I'm used to seeing him. I've seen Primus many times throughout the years. The guy's, you know, like an all-time great when it comes to just not only his instrument, but just music in general. You know, he's on a level, you know, maybe not on his own, but he's on a level that very few people stand with, you know. So unique. One of those guys you can instantly recognize, but... Yeah, so if you ever get the chance to check out Les Claypool outside of the Primus realm, do it. You won't be disappointed. All right, so I feel like there's so many more things. I excuse me, I can't even speak. I feel like there's so many more things that uh, I could talk about here, but I've already been rambling for quite a while. This is going to be a lengthy episode. If you've listened this far, I appreciate it. I don't know that I've said anything worth listening to, but. Maybe Jason will say something worth listening to. So what I'm going to do now is jump back to Glenn Hughes. Glenn Hughes performed, like I said, at the Granada in Dallas at the very end of August. I think it was the 28th, 29th. It was literally like the day before I left to go to Rocklahoma and then start all this. So that's why I never got this out. Like I had a couple, I mentioned this on last week's episode with Saul. Blake Bedsall was on there and I recorded this. I recorded the interview with him around the same time that this was recorded. And then when I was out of town for a couple months, I just forgot my laptop. And then when I came home once, I brought my laptop, but then forgot the files. So just, I didn't, wasn't able to ever get this out. So that's why we're so late with it. Glenn Hughes is on the Mount Rushmore of rock and roll vocalists. The voice of rock. He's an amazing bass player as well. He's one of the greatest musicians in rock history. Deep Purple. Hughes Thrall. Black Sabbath, working with Tony Iommi, Iommi Hughes, Black Country Communion, The Dead Daisies, California Breed, all his solo work. A few years ago, he started doing shows on occasion where he would do, 
or it'd be entirely deep purple. And then he started this tour, I believe last year in Europe. And then he brought it to America celebrating, you know, his era of deep purple. So I don't need to go too much into this because you know, Jason talked about it for quite a bit. Here, I want to let you know that this was recorded while we were driving. This was the first time we'd ever tried this. And it was as bad as I thought it might be. Like the road noise just from outside the vehicle was a little too much. Even with my wind guard on the mic and everything. So I tried messing with it. Tried editing it. You know, kind of got a lot of that noise out, but you still kind of hear it. Our voice drops as well. So like it's, I mean, you can understand everything fine, but the quality isn't the highest level. So just letting you know why. Here we go. Here's Jason and I talking about Glenn Hughes. All right. So for the first time ever, we're doing one of these like while we're moving in a vehicle. That's right. Rolling. Rolling podcast. That's is that right. what it's called? Is that the official like terminology? I guess that's what we're going to use now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I remember you said that, uh. You've heard Metal Up Your Podcast do this before. So. Yes. yes. They probably did it with, like, good quality, you know, fucking equipment and shit, where there's not a lot of road noise. I don't know. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll see. Yes, we'll, we'll see. see see how it works out. But we're doing this because we just saw Glenn Hughes last night in Dallas, Texas at the Granada Theater. And I know this was, like, for a long-ass time, this has been the number one artist on my concert bucket list. Right. I think once I finally saw Scorpions and Tom Petty, like, around 2010, something like that, you know, when he was bumped up to number one. Yes. And, uh, like I mentioned before, I got the chance to see him last year at Blue Ridge for two songs from the side of stage. This is the first, like, full show. Yeah. And, there's a loud-ass semi right there. (laughs) Wow. But, uh, Anyway, okay, yeah, before I go on, I, I know he's, like, pretty high up on your yeah absolutely. your list as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think him and uh, Alice Cooper are, like, number one. Okay. And I still haven't seen Alice Cooper yet, but Glenn Hughes, uh, finally getting to see him, uh, and I, I never really cared what capacity, because him touring the U.S. or coming to our area just doesn't happen a whole lot. Yeah, and any so incarnation, I was, yeah. Yeah, I, was, I don't care if it's Dead Daisies. I don't care, you know, if he's doing solo stuff or Deep Purple stuff or whatever. I don't care. I need to see this man, and it finally happened. Yeah. Yeah, I remember many, many years ago, we talked about going to St. Louis to the Black Country Communion show. Yes. For some reason, we didn't make it happen. I, I don't know why we didn't. <laughs> you know, should. hopefully we'll get that opportunity, you know, like, he right. said on the podcast recently, maybe they'll do some shows. So. Yeah, yeah, you never know. But like you mentioned, this one's all about Deep Purple, and it's like, you, you know, the news is obviously getting older. Like you said, the opportunities to see him for us hasn't haven't always been there. So, you know, if I never get the chance to see him again, you, you, you know, you got to be fucking content with the fact that you just saw him play an hour and 40 minutes of Deep Purple songs. Right, I mean... Yeah, because no one's out there fucking playing these songs. No, it's, I mean at least as far as people that were involved in them, right? Because you know the Deep Purple now they don't do uh, the Mop Two. I think it's Mop Two and Three, Mop Three version or whatever they call it. Yeah. Excuse me. So I mean, like this is it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean yeah, because you know David Coverdale with White Snake did the the Purple tour where they did this like in 2015. Yeah. But outside of that, it's like, 
you would get Glenn Hughes, you know, doing burn or something every once in a while. Yes. You know, Richard Blackmore, and like you said, anybody in Deep Purple these days, he and Gillen's not up there fucking singing. Yeah. Keep on moving, because why would he? Right, 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 right. Right. But, you know, speaking on that, you know, not to jump clear to the end of the show, but like, on the flip side of that, Glenn Hughes got up there and played Highway Star. Right. Which is a song he had nothing to do with. And, but, kind of like he said when I asked him that on the podcast, was like, you know, it fits in, you know, and it's a, obviously a crowd pleaser type thing. Oh, yeah. And yeah. to see him on stage without his bass, yeah. just being the front man was kind of odd. Yeah. I mean, he was cool, but it was odd looking, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, it was it, it was a fun deal, so I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's, like you said, everybody was, you know, fucking into it. It's Highway Star. Why wouldn't you be? Right, right. And he sounds, you know, do the whole thing. I mean, like I said, this guy's 72 now, and it's like, there's vocalists in their prime, legendary vocalists in their prime that don't sound as good as this guy sounds. Absolutely. Now. Absolutely. I mean, and that's just, I mean, because he, I mean, we've talked many times about guys that still sound great as they got older, like Rob Halford, Bruce Dickinson, you know, the list goes on. The guys that have those huge voices. But, you know, as great as Rob Halford sounds, I don't think he fucking sounds as good as he sounds at this age. I mean, no. I mean, this is... It's a different style, too, but still, you know what I mean? It it was crazy. I mean, those notes, he he has not lost a beat. Like, he's lost nothing. Yeah. It's so crazy. Um, Sometimes he didn't even need a fucking microphone, dude. Yeah, he was doing that. He was way far away from the microphone. That steel heart, rival sun type deal. Yeah. It just fucking projects so well that you're just like... Like, I mean, is this it, really happening? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. It was just such a sight to see, man. It, it really was. It was crazy. Yeah, and uh, I mean the, the excuse me, the tour celebrate. You know, was celebrating fifty years of burn. Yes. And uh, so the bulk of the set list was from that album, but he covered the other two albums. Yes. You know, he was a part of, and uh, it really was what eight or nine songs. Yeah, it was, I, I, you know, and it was the, <laughs> it's crazy because, yes, it was an hour and 40 minutes, but it was also like the shortest set ever for an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. It was like, is, is, is typo negative up here or something? What's going on? <laughs> right. You know, it was eight songs, I, I believe. Nine songs. Nine songs. I just okay. pulled the set list okay. up. Yeah. <laughs> Nine songs. Uh but obviously, you know, there, especially with this style of music, you know, there's there's some long drawn out jams, you know, some, some real musical acrobats going on, acrobatics, excuse me. Uh, and, and yeah, it was only nine songs, but I mean, we didn't get shorted at all. Oh fuck no! Yeah, no, I don't feel like I was, you know, ripped off or however you want to word it. Uh, it was it was sure as hell full show, man. Yeah, because I mean, you have like burn, you know, that's like eight to ten minutes. You've got mistreated, that's like twelve, thirteen minutes, and right. you've got like uh, you fool no one, which yes. they did that long ass drum solo in the middle of. So that song was probably fifteen minutes. Oh yeah, you know. So I mean, just those three songs alone hit almost forty five minutes of the hour and forty oh, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and side note, that drummer was insane. Yeah. That drummer was crazy good, insane. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, this is something I was I was thinking about while he was playing. That like, I don't know. Like, I always go back and forth on solos and shows. Right. It's like yeah. I know there's some people that are like adamantly against them for some reason. But I don't, you know, give a shit if I'm seeing a headline band and they're doing guitar solos. I mean, I'm fucking my favorite bands, Guns N' Roses, and you know, right. there's like fucking three, you know, six minute, eight minute long slash solos in there somewhere, you know, but like. Zach Wild, Les Claypool, Mike Portnoy, all these guys you expect oh, yeah. it. But when I go to see Glenn Hughes, I want to fucking see Glenn Hughes. Right, right. But th- no offense to this guy because he's amazing, you know, because I'm going to talk about this from both sides real quick. <laughs> <laughs> because when you go to see Glenn Hughes, you know, obviously we're not seeing Deep Purple. So I'm just, you know, from my experience, I'm kind of like, you know, these three guys. Are fucking knowing these parts. Yes. You close your eyes and like feel like you're listening to Deep Purple live. Yes. You know, in fucking, you know, Southern California in 1973, just by closing your eyes. But like, when I'm watching this show, 90 plus percent of the time, I'm just fixated on Glenn Hughes. Yes. And so I think like maybe the musicianship of these other three guys gets lost. So maybe putting this guy on display for eight minutes you know, is deservedly needs to happen. Right. Because, right. you know, you're going to walk away thinking, oh, this guy's great, but you're still just going to talk about Glenn Hughes. But now that we saw this super long solo from this guy, you're going to remember this guy forever. Oh, man. You know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, and it's like, so you, you, uh, so you, it's like, you want to see, you, they could have put in a couple more songs. Right. But, Really, that's okay, because that guy was so good. I thought his head was going to pop off. <laughs> right. I mean, it was just crazy. And besides just how good he was, he was doing all those fucking weird acrobatic kind of things with his drumsticks. Oh, yeah. You know? oh, yeah. I mean, it was Like, just, just uh, flipping them, like, not in a normal twist, you know, just, like, weird stuff. And then he would, like, put one in his mouth while the other one's playing and just... <laughs> he, put it, he, uh, he put it in his nose at one point. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, they covered, you know, like, they opened with Stormbringer, and then, you know, and they played a lot of these songs from Burn, like we said, they played Getting Tighter right. from uh, Come and Get It, yeah. um, with, uh, you know, and he, of course, dedicated that to Tommy Boland. Yes. I mean, that's another thing, you know, Glenn Hughes is, like, throughout his fucking lifetime of the past 40 plus years, has always championed Tommy Boland, yes. like, endlessly. Um of course was in Deep Purple after Blackmore um, I think I don't know do you have like a specific highlight as far as the songs that um, we saw I, I liked Might Just Save Your Life yeah because I really always really dug that song um, and uh, for me Burn is just like one of the just quintessential rock songs ever yeah so to hear that and I know it's kind of a stock answer, and, you know, they close with it. He closes with it, sorry. But that's just one of the coolest songs ever. So I think those were my, like, two my two highlights. I mean, really, the whole thing was a highlight, but yeah. if, if you're if you're asking, that's why. Yeah, it's a nonstop hour and 40-minute highlight, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to me, it was, I think, uh, you keep on moving. Okay. Um, just, you know, I've always loved that song and the fact that just, like, you know, it's Glenn Hughes. He's hitting high notes in every song, but that song has 
specifically more, I think, than any of the other tracks he sang. Right, right. And it's just, to, you know, to hear someone, like we said, at that age doing that. Yeah, it's insane. You know, an hour plus into this show, you know, which I guess, I think it, I, we talked about that last night, but I think, you know, I'm not a vocalist, but I would assume as you, it's probably easier to do that later in the show. Yeah. Because after your vocal cords get opened up. Warmed up, yeah. Yeah. But still, it's just baffling me. We're that far in, and he's, you know, just, you know, welling his ass off. And I, and I said, might just save your life. It might just take your life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice it. But uh, Mistreated, you know, that's always been one yeah, of my favorite tracks. That was awesome, too, man. And just, yeah, to hear... They just, he just belts it out. Yeah. Man. And, I mean, that's a heavy David Coverdale vocal track, you know. Right, right. And just for... I mean, obviously, Glenn Hughes, you know, by his voice, he can do anything. Um, but him and Coverdale have wildly different voices. Yeah. And for him to sing in, it just sounds fucking perfect, you know. It's a testament to how great this guy's voice is. Absolutely. It's like when John Bush would sing Joey Belladonna songs. You don't expect right. it to translate that way because it's two wildly different <laughs> vocals, but it sounds fucking amazing, you know. But, yeah, I think, I mean... Again, I hope I get the chance to see him with Black Country Fusion or Solo. Yes. But the fact that, you know, we got to see an hour and 40 minutes of fucking Deep Purple tracks. Right, right. You know what I mean? That's going to, you know, live with me forever, I think. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I was, I, admittedly, I was late to the party on all this, you know, as far as. Deep Purple and Glenn Hughes go. I've, those are names I've heard all my life, obviously. But until, uh, until like you know, Black Country Communion came along, I never really, like, really delved in and paid attention. And okay. then when I did, it was just like a whole, um, just totally clomped onto it uh, into the whole Deep Purple world, not just Glenn Hughes. Yeah. So. I mean, uh, and I've been a huge Deep Purple fan, like for the last ten years or so. And, and so to see to see him and those collection of songs, that was a special, special thing. Yeah. And, and, and I'm glad, I'm glad that uh, you know that tour is in the area. Oh, and, absolutely. You know, anyone listening, if it's in your area, you need to go to this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think for me it was in like the mid '90s when we were. Um, um, the fuck Fuse came out Right No was that Depth, no, Depth Sessions was second Yeah When the Tony Iommi album Came out um, That's when I really You know Like you said It's always been a guy I knew You know I'd heard Obviously heard Burn and stuff like that But yeah. never like Delved into this And then like Whenever Just hearing How amazing that album was And then going And hearing Seven Star And then Going yeah. back On this other stuff But yeah, I mean, just Deep Purple in general, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, just this lineup alone. I mean, you can't, you could argue that's the greatest lineup of five musicians in history. I mean, you, you, right. I mean, you could at least argue it. You put it up there with fucking Zeppelin or The Who or any of these others where it's like <laughs> a collection of four guys that are just like independently at the top of their game. Yeah. And Deep Purple's been that way in any lineup incarnation. Oh, yeah. You know, to, to this day, you know, I mean, they've got one of the best drummers of all time in their entire history. And yeah. then, you know, whenever you've got guys like Coverdell and uh, 
Glenn Hughes and Tony Bolin, they were only part of history for a few years. I mean, right. bands would fucking kill for someone that good. For, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know. But, yeah, I mean, so, like, I guess one more question when it comes to Glenn Hughes. Like, what do you... We've kind of covered a lot, but, like, when you hear the name Glenn Hughes, what's the first thing that pops in your head? Is it Burn or is it Black Country Kid or, like... Now it's... it's <laughs> yeah. Now it's Burn. You know, in, in his era of Deep Purple, that's that's what it is. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm still, like, I kind of, like, whenever I hear his name first or just see it, you know, I still kind of just, like, jump right to the solo stuff. Yeah. Like, the recent yeah. solo stuff, because I listen to it a lot. But, like, right. yeah, then you just think about it and all that stuff rushes in. Deep yeah. Purple's always right there at the top. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it has to be. Yeah. But, yeah, really looking forward. Like, if you're listening to this now and you didn't know, you know, he was on the podcast a couple weeks ago, you know, he mentioned Black Country Communion's fifth album's coming early next year. He's going to work on another solo album next year. Right. So we should see more touring from him in that capacity and more great music. Because, I mean, this, not to just sound repeatedly like a fanboy, which, I mean, we are, so he can't really not. Oh, but, totally. Um, everything this guy puts out is, like, above the level of good. You know? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It doesn't matter. I mean, check out those two Dead Daisies albums. Check out all the Black Country Communion and solo stuff and Deep Purple and Tony Iommi and Hughes Thrall and all this shit. It's just like above the level of most bands' greatest effort, you know? <laughs> but yeah. All right. I guess that covers it, right? I think so. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah. It's always good to have you back. I want to hold it. Fuck it. Let's extend this. You want to extend this for a second? Sure. Uh, whatever you want to do. You, you went saw Metallica. Oh, yeah, 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 I did, I did. <laughs> I went and saw Metallica in Dallas, uh, the M72 World Tour. Uh, it's just massive. Uh, any, whatever adjective you want to use for big, just use it. I mean, it, it is just a, it is a humongous spectacle of heavy metal. Yeah. I mean, uh, and it's, so professionally done and so like I mean you I, I hate to say it because concert tickets are even more expensive now than they were just a few years ago pre-COVID but you really you, if it's possible you get your money's worth I yeah. mean there's no no doubt in that um, I mean they were on point the set list was impeccable in my eyes. I I have I don't like you know generic set lists from bands with the hits and you know how that goes. I'm 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 a deep cut guy. I'm a, yeah. I'm a nerd. Um, but I also understand that you have to play the hits and stuff. And you know I know they're doing two weekends and. Uh, not two weekends, excuse me. They're doing two two nights. They're over a weekend, and they're not going to get to play everything one night. But I thought they really uh, they really constructed a good set on the Friday night that I went. Uh, that had a lot of the well known songs, but it had a lot of the the not so well known that I just happened to like, like Dirty Window. No, <laughs> that was the Sunday night show that I did not go to. Okay. Uh, 
and I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if it, I just kind of started going into it. Did, did you have questions about it, or? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I didn't have anything like to just speak on it. Well, I mean, one thing to mention you didn't is like between those two nights, they don't repeat anything. Right. Yeah. It's um, no repeat. Yes. Yes. Which you know, there's not. There's a handful of fucking bands or artists throughout the years that could get away with something like this. You know, like put on. You know, there's always been artists big enough to put on two nights in a town. Mm-hmm. But usually when they do that, it's in like an arena, like Garth yeah. Brooks doing five nights at a fucking you know twenty thousand seat arena. Yeah, it's not two nights at a fucking football stadium. They can cram eighty thousand people in there or whatever. Exactly. Um, and I mean, who's doing that these days besides Taylor? Right, right. You know, in one stadium, multiple nights. You yeah. Know? Exactly. Maybe there's someone I'm not thinking of, but like, and for them to be able to do it and, you know, draw people in with the whole, you know, even if it was not a no repeat thing and they played in our Sandman and Master Puppets both nights, you know, it would still sell out both nights. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I honestly can tell you, uh, I'm glad I was there on the night they didn't play Inner Sandman. Oh, yeah. That's uh, probably the first time you've ever seen them where they didn't, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'm totally okay with that. Hey, love that song. It's a hit. It's awesome, but I've heard it so many times in my life. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, the, the new songs they play, they played Lux Turner. They played Too Far Gone, which I love. I think that's a great song. Uh, they played... Um, Shadows follow, uh, it, but they also played, you know, uh, they played Harvester of Sorrow, Leper Messiah. Oh, sure. I mean, they played, dude. Did uh, you get Battery that night, too? I don't think so. Okay, but that's the other uh, King Nothing. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, dude, they, uh, they played some great stuff, man. Uh, I mean, they're at the point now they could do three nights, no repeat, and have enough songs in each night yeah, yeah. that, you know, would make people happy. Right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Because there's so many singles they never play. You know? Yeah, yeah. And just the, you know, the round stage and the, the big cylinders that have the screens on them and Seek and Destroy with the gigantic beach balls. I mean, it's just fun, man. It's just, uh, there's a reason why they're my favorite band, you know. Yeah. And uh, Pantera was there and, you know, that's a whole other discussion on, you know, how you feel about, you know, them doing this with Zach and Charlie um, Phil Anselmo sounded awesome. I thought he sounded great. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, it was just uh, Mammoth, WVH. I love that band. Yeah. It was just a really great evening of music, and I really, really appreciated it. It was awesome to see. Was there a good crowd in the stadium when Mammoth went on, or did it? No. It was, no? Okay. People were just filing in, and it was, you know, Really, they're playing in front of a ton of people, but because it just, it's looks, in, yeah. it just looks so sparse because it's a gigantic stadium. Yeah. You know? So, and, and uh, Wolfgang Van Halen, he his mic was set up in front of the snake pit. I, I think because that way he's like playing to people that are actually in there. Oh, and, right. You know, it's kind of a captive audience. Yeah. And, Kind of think. I think we talked about this earlier or yesterday or something. I, I think it's because you know maybe they're not used to playing in the round or, or huge stadiums, so that's just kind of it might be kind of awkward for them. I don't know. But, sure. Uh, yeah. But who knows? Um, but dude, it was just a, a, a it, it's such a well put together tour, 
and the way they're doing all this is just it, it, it's awesome and it's super uh, it's so fan based it's super fan friendly and there's all this stuff going on around it and all weekend all these smaller shows and the pop up shop which was insane I didn't drove by it, and every time we drove by it, there was just a line circling down the block, <laughs> um, around the buildings, and all this stuff, and it was like 108 degrees outside, I, I there's, there's no way, there's no way I was going to wait in that line, <laughs> yeah. for, you know, got a chance to buy a $50 t-shirt, yeah, yeah, or to <laughs> buy a fucking, uh, Metallica melon baller for $80, <laughs> uh, it's just, you know. Yeah. Since you never made a Thunder Underground one, but whatever. I know. <laughs> uh, but can't yeah, believe it, can't believe it. It, it was just, <laughs> it was, it was quite a weekend, man. Quite a weekend. Yeah, because they, like you said, the shows around, like uh, Otto and Master Dame played uh, right, right. in Dallas, like that Saturday night between the two shows. And like, you know, we saw photos from uh, our friend David Campbell had went to that show and like... Rob and uh, James were both there, you yep. know, obviously because their kids are playing. Yep. But the fact that they're both there talking to fans is some, you know, like you said, it's a fan friendly thing. It's like, you know, people go their whole lives like hoping to fucking meet James Hetfield, and you're just in a club watching yeah. his son play with him. That's oh, yeah. fucking crazy, you know. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it really is. But so okay to go back to Pantera for a minute. Okay. Is you know because I know when this you know was announced, you had a different view than I had. You know, I'm a little more gung-ho about it. Like, after seeing it now, are you a little more for it, or do you care? I'm, I'm, yeah. Because, I mean, I'm, you got the chance to see him several times in the day, so you didn't have to see it. But. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't, I don't think I was ever not totally for it. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, let me put it this way. If they weren't opening for Metallica, or if they weren't on a bill of a show that I was already going to, I probably would not go. Okay. That's that's kind of how I f- look at it. Well, that says a lot with as big a fan as you are. Right? But at the same time, it, it was it was enjoyable, and it was a hell of a thing to see a whole stadium sing Walk. That was crazy. Um, and everything's, everything's, everything was performed awesomely, but... It just still does kind of feel just a little off for me. Yeah. Uh, so it's like I'm. I'm. I mean, is Zach like? I mean, when you could you close your eyes and think like, oh, this is Pantera? Or is it like, oh, this sounds like Zach playing Pantera? It sounded like Zach because that's kind of the envision I always have because yep. you can't get away from that that Zach sound. No. Even if you know as easy as Charlie could get away from his sound, I right, think right, you know. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, is uh, you know, um, Zach, Zach stayed within the the blueprints of the solos. You know, all the themes and the, and the the melodies were hit, but also you could just tell it's it's somebody else. You right. know, and in that, and I don't think when it comes to that, I don't think it's really a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, because, you don't have you to know, mimic someone. You don't have to mimic somebody to celebrate it, and and, and also. You know, it, it's hard to mimic. You know, you are who you are uh, in, in anything. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that. But I, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. 
but it just it still it feels a little weird. But at the same time, it was cool. So I, I don't know, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things, you know. It's like everybody's got a their opinion on it, but oh, I yeah. mean, I fully not to go too much further into yeah. You know, we talked about this with other bands. It's like, you know, Alice in Chains, for instance, or whoever. It's like, these guys, you know, are as much a part of this band, and they deserve right, the right. fact to earn a living. I mean, exactly. whether you think it's right or not, it's like, you know, I just talked about this on this week's Rockahoma preview podcast. Um, you don't... I don't think that Pantera would have got to the level... We wouldn't even be talking about Pantera right now if Phil wasn't in that band. Yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah, they exactly. never would have got to that to the level they did in heavy metal. At least, you know, of course, you know, anything could have happened. Right. Don Bag and Vinny could have, you know, took Pantera to the next level somehow, a different way. But like, they wouldn't have went into that direction of Cowboy Smell and then especially into Vulgar. And exactly. as they kept getting heavier, if it wasn't for Phil, exactly, and made him like one of the most legendary metal bands ever, and especially like the biggest one in the '90s besides Metallica. Yeah, yeah. And I've always been not to take away from. Not to take away from Diamond Vinny, but in their uh, in their their musical prowess, but I was always way more hip to uh, Phil's post Pantera stuff than Diamond Vinny's. Oh yeah, that's just that's just how it is. Yeah, and uh, so that in you know so that's that's me. And um, I don't really know where I was going with it. Yeah, it, it, it was just a, it, it was a, it was a great set. It, it was there, there's no doubt it, it it was. So even like the the really heavy stuff like Strength Beyond Strength or oh, fucking crazy. hostile like oh, yeah. sounded great. Oh, it was crushing, dude. Hell yeah. Yeah, like I said, there's it, it is a little weird to see it, but there's no doubt. Um, uh, everybody everybody on that stage killed it. Yeah, it was it was something else. Yeah, it was. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's like, got the chance to see them a lot. Yeah. You know, with that, you know, with the original line, or the, whatever lineup you want to call it, like the, like the classic lineup. Um, so, you know, not seeing it now wouldn't be the end of the world, but yeah, I'm still looking forward to getting the chance to check it out. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, we're talking about one of my two favorite drummers of all time. Oh, yeah, you definitely and definitely one of my favorite guitarists yeah. ever, too. So. Oh, yeah, you definitely got to check it out. But, yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. Didn't really have a good conclusion to this, I guess. Uh, hey, we're just chopping anything, it up. Anything coming up besides concert-wise that you're doing? I forgot. Um, Because you're not doing Behemoth, surprisingly. No, no, <laughs> I, I need to chill out. Um. Well, we've got Seven Dust and Static X in Tulsa. That's right. Um, and then, uh, oh, yeah, they uh, announced um, at the Guthrie Green here in Tulsa, they're doing, like, Sasquatch and Shelter People and, um, God, I, I'm just off the top of my head. I can't remember who else, but and it's free at the Guthrie Green. That's wild. Like, October. I'm not sure. Um it has to be like a Horton Records thing, right? Yes, it is. It's a Horton Records deal. Because the only other time I've been out there was like that Paul Bearer show, right? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's kind of one of those. Yeah. And it's smart that they're doing it in October. I wish I'm driving. I wish I had the info in front of me. But yes, it, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just recently that announced that the Brent Bjork 
Yes. Trios coming with the Atomic Bitch Wax to the Mercury Lounge. Yep. Which is crazy. Yeah, that's that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we can end it here, right? All righty. <laughs> it sounds good. Yeah, thanks for joining me once again to talk about some Glenn Hughes and Metallica and Pantera. That's right. That's right. We're on the way home now. Right <laughs> There you go. Jason and I are talking about Glenn Hughes when he played the Granada in Dallas. A huge thank you to Renee and Jen at Chipster PR for setting that one up for us, setting up the interview that, you know, I did with Glenn, you know, that came out a few episodes ago now, I guess back in August. And then, of course, hooking us up with the passes for that show to go check him out and see one of the greatest artists in Rock and Roll Hall history, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Glenn Hughes, who's been on this podcast twice now. But yeah, thank you. I mean, if you've listened this whole way, I appreciate you. Just wanted to get out like a nice lengthy episode since I'll be gone again here a little bit. I'll be back in a couple weeks with some more stuff. And of course, very soon we'll have the best of 2023. The top albums of 2023 should be coming up, you know, because the end of the year here is not that far away. Less than a month now, so. Well, no, by the time you're hearing this, a little over a month into November here. So, again, maybe you'll hear something from Japan shortly. But if not, that's why I'm not telling you what it is, so in case it doesn't happen. That's why I'm not telling you what any of the other coming stuff is as well. But stuff that has happened. 385 episodes previous to this, like I said, Saul, the vocalist for Saul, Blake Budsaw, was on here last week. He's been on here another time previous to that. Rock and Roll Hall of Famers Gene Simmons of Kiss, Glenn Hughes, like I said twice, Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses, Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard and Dio have all been on here. Members of Helmet, Typo Negative, Prong, Tesla, Megadeth, Testament, Great White, Warrant, Shine Down, Saliva, Seven Dust, Corrosion Conformity, Trapped, White Snake, Winger. Shoot Jennings has been on here. Vanilla Ice has been on here. Motley Crue. The list is very long. So dig back through there. TheThunderUnderground.com. You can find it there. You can find it pretty much anywhere. Podcast or wherever you're listening right now. Like, subscribe, or follow so you don't miss future episodes. Follow us on all the socials. You can find them there on the website as well. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, X, sorry, TikTok. Hit us up if you want some merch. You want to buy someone something for Christmas. Hit us up if you've got ideas. Hit us up if you want to bitch or praise something. I don't know. Might have more contests coming soon. Just had one this past week where we gave away Rob Halford's autobiography, Confess, Dave Grohl's autobiography, The Storyteller, and Chad Malone's collection of poetry and lyrics called Melancholy, Madness, and the Mundane. But yeah, be on the lookout for more episodes, or more contests like that, and of course, more episodes coming soon, here at the new year, and of course, all of 2024. Once again, a huge thank you to Jason for joining me for that Glenn Hughes talk. Until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. Thunder Underground.